Hello and welcome to Boiled Down. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Orla Director of Government Affairs. Joining me today from the Orla team is Lori Little, Director of Communications. Hi, Lori. Good morning, Greg. How are we doing today? Oh, we're doing great. Uh, it's a busy week, though, trying to get ready for this big holiday. Oh, I was going to say, it's not a busy week for me. I took the week off uh, from work, although I'm here today, so I guess I didn't <laughs> really. But yes, there is a lot going on. We have the Thanksgiving holiday coming up, uh, the rest of the holidays right around the corner. Yeah, you've been busy in the kitchen, I hear. I have been. Yeah, I'm responsible for dessert for Thanksgiving dinner. So uh, we have about 20 people coming this year, and I figure that means about 10 desserts for me. So, Oh, my goodness. Fortunately, I have my food handler's card, so I know exactly what to do when it comes to time and temperature and making sure that I keep everybody safe. That's good. That's impressive that you you actually know that many recipes. Well, I don't know them all. I just take them out of the books. So that's the, that's the easy way to do it. Yeah, see, my family doesn't, uh, they don't ask me to bring desserts to our family gathering. Maybe it's because I kind of messed up on it last time. I, <laughs> I tend to go to the, the big box store and, you know, get one of those uh, easy pumpkin pies. It's always a win. That's uh, a good way to not have yourself <laughs> invited for uh, doing desserts again. But the good news is I can also add alcohol uh, to any of my desserts because I do have my alcohol server's license as well. So, uh, and I got both of those at orlatraining.com. So, Did you really? Yeah. I heard that's a great place to get your training. Yeah, that's not a shameless plug or anything. But uh, <laughs> you can also get your ServeSafe certification there, your guest service gold. Uh, you can learn more about responsible gambling uh, and human trafficking recognition and response. So, all very important things for our members to know about. All kinds of training there. Exactly. Well, let's get into today's interview because we do have a great one today. We're going to be talking about health insurance coverage for 2019. And with us today uh, is our Orla Health Solutions Plan Administrator, Garth Rouse of Garth T. Rouse and Associates. But first, we want to make sure you're getting the most out of your membership. And to help you do that, we like to highlight a benefit you may or may not be aware of. Did you know members get up to 30 to 40% off the everyday price on select Dell products? In addition, Dell's Cyber Week is coming up November 26th through December 2nd on Dell.com. That's D-E-L-L.com. Member discounts are stackable on top of select Cyber Week doorbusters. And you can receive up to 50% off on select products when you use your member coupon. Shop now at www.dell.com slash Orla to access your coupon and shop doorbusters. So make sure to use your member ID when you call. That's 1-800-757-8442. And if you're not a member, visit OregonRLA.org where you can join and start taking advantage of the many growing benefits. Well, with that, I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Garth Rouse of Garth T. Rouse & Associates. Welcome to Boiled Down. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. In addition to Thanksgiving this week, Garth, I know there's a pretty significant football game coming up on Friday. Yeah, Do you, yeah. you have any favorites uh, in the Civil War, Oregon, kind Oregon of, State? Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, uh, so I'm, I, of course, an Oregon State Beaver. Um, I played there in the 80s, and uh, so I'm always rooting for the home team. I, I, I'm not, uh, like a lot of folks, not a... Um, a lot of friends that I have who are really anti-duck, really, really anti-duck. And I'm not until this week. I always tell my duck buddies, <laughs> this is the week we can be enemies. Or Absolutely. The time we'll be friends, but this is the week we can be enemies. Well, I feel the same way. I was yeah. a cheerleader at Oregon, and yeah. uh, so I have very deep ties there. Yes. And uh, my wife's a beaver, so I root for the beavers until right. Civil War week. Yes. And then we just hope that we shut them out. So yep. Um, yep. <laughs> there have been some good ones over the years and some bad ones. Yes. But You're a house divided for sure. That's yes. for sure. Well, so let's talk a little 
little bit uh, about health insurance, yeah. uh, speaking of potential injuries on the field or yeah. in the workplace. Um, you know, one of those things that uh, employers try to offer their employees is, is different benefits, and health mm-hmm. insurance, of course, is, is being one of them. But how important is it uh, to employees to get a benefit of health care coverage? Yeah, so that's a great question and, and a really good place to start off. And uh, I would say it's it's very important. Likely, if people are listening to the podcast, they're they're interested, right? They know and they're kind of interested um, and know that it's a, it's a benefit that they maybe would like to add. So, but just a little backup from that. So uh, I've been in this business for almost 30 years. Next year will be 30 years. And during that time period, uh, anytime there are surveys done, um, health insurance pretty much throughout that time period has been number one. So when you look at surveys of what employees want, uh, it's at the top. When you take a look at um, uh, employee satisfaction surveys in front of me, uh, Society Human Resource Management had a 2017 survey done of uh, employee benefits, uh, employee satisfaction. uh, And and, uh, when you take a look at the different kinds of benefits you can offer, paid time off or flex time, uh, those kind of things. Uh, health insurance is, again, when it comes to employee satisfaction, right? What what really satisfies the employees? Health insurance is right there at the top. Um, the other thing, the other uh, thing that people would probably recognize uh, in, in years past, many of the um, strikes and those kind of things that have happened largely deal with benefits, right? What gets paid sure. toward benefits. So again, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a big piece. It's, it's kind of the brass ring. If you're, if you're, you know, looking to achieve something, benefits that will help it attract and retain. And for employers today, right, with the unemployment rate the way it is, attracting and retaining is the key. So if you can offer uh, health insurance is a really the place, is a, is a good place if you can get there. Well, you kind of answered my next question there because you were reading my mind. I was thinking, well, you know, in this tight labor market, unemployment rate uh, so low, uh, one of the things that employers, I think, have to look to is what kind of benefits they can offer. And so, um you know, I, you mentioned a couple of them, you know, and whether it's hiring or whether it's retention, um, just generally the morale of the employees, mm-hmm. knowing that they have that that benefit in their back pocket when they need it. So yeah. um, are there other uh, benefits that you see when when employers offer those coverages to employees? I mean, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So there's, so there's certainly medical, dental vision kinds of things that can be offered. And the nice thing is that really... Um, really, for the first time in, in a number of years, the the solutions that we have available for uh, Orla members is pretty encompassing, right? So we have we have solutions, and we'll go through the different types of coverage that I think in the in, in the podcast today uh, that that we can talk about that are available. But there's really a nice suite of offerings that are available. So if people haven't Check that uh, check that out in a while. Um, go to the website and take a look and see what's there because there's really something there for every budget. So, yeah, yeah. and you know, speaking of uh, the employers, obviously we have a, a number of small employers. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and many of them probably look at it and say, "Gosh, I don't have the budget," to, you know, for yeah. for any of these um, plans that have big premiums. So, yeah. what are some options for our small small employers? I would say within within the um, uh, group market. So there's there's really kind of two markets. There's individual insurance and there's group insurance. But if we just stay on the group side, um, there's really uh, several different options. Uh, underneath group, I would say that there's really three options. There's a, f- a fully insured product, which meets, um, I'm going to use the term minimum value that comes out of the Affordable Care Act. A minimum value plan, the vernacular we use here in all our stuff is a standard insurance kind of product. And so standard would be something that would pay for hospital surgery, 
doctor's visits. It, it's going to cover everything that's out there. And so in, in that standard product, uh, there certainly are offerings available. We take a look at all the carriers that are out there, um, uh, the different carriers in the state as well. The National Restaurant Association has a program put together with United Healthcare that uh, that can be beneficial for members. That type of a plan, uh, high deductibles. Usually, you're seeing high deductible plans there. You know, high, high deductibles, three to five thousand dollar deductibles. The cost in those kind of things can vary anywhere. Um, we did a proposal this last week for a group that was. Younger, they had uh, younger folks, and if you have the right age and sex, a male-female uh, age mix, the rates can still be what I, I would consider to be affordable, which is, uh, I think this group was right around two two thirty, um, which, again, sounds expensive, and it certainly can be, um, but it was fairly inexpensive for what we see, and we see it go from there on up to six or $700 a month. So that kind of gives you an idea as far as the fully insured uh, kind of uh, standard type of product that's going to pay for everything. That's kind of the, the range that you can see. Um, th- so if you can't afford that, right, if I'm a small employer and I'm going, gosh, that's just, that's not, I, I just can't do that, then uh, we have a, a an offering of minimum essential, what we call minimum essential coverage, which is, again, out of the Affordable Care Act. And so minimum essential coverage um, does a couple of different things. One, it allows an employer to offer coverage the, at an affordable price. So those plans are priced uh, $35, $60, and $90 uh, per person per month. Um, they don't cover as much as their, our standard plans do, right? They, want, they don't cover surgery. They don't cover hospitalization. But they do cover things like preventive care. Uh, they do cover um, doctor's visits. Um, telemedicine is a part of the plans. A pres- discount prescription uh, drug card is a part of that. Uh, and then the more expensive program even offers some dental coverage. Right, but the, the essential plans don't come with the large deduct- deductibles, so that's Correct. a lot more attractive. Correct. It's, it's, so they're attractive from, from a couple of standpoints. One is the price point, right? Every, everybody cares about price, and they should. Um, and so, so the, this is a, a much uh, uh, lesser price point right, right, than the standard plans are. Um, and they are more limited in coverage. Um, you're correct in that they don't have large deductibles to meet. Typically, those you get reimbursed. Preventive care is paid at 100%. The doctor's visits, um, again, there's no deductibles or anything to meet. There's, there's really just um, uh, it, it reimburses for, uh, for doctor's visits and for um, uh, uh, not prescriptions, but um, lab and x-ray and those type of things. So it's more like a reimbursement program, but, but yet providing employees some coverage. The, um, the, the downside is, again, it doesn't cover everything. The upside is that it's a, it's a lot less expensive. You don't have those deductibles you have to meet. And the other thing is it does get you out of, you get out of jail free card as far as the individual mandate is, is uh, concerned. So um, folks probably know, but there's really uh, two different types of penalties that you can see. With the Affordable Care Act, one is the employer penalty, the 4980A and B penalty, and then there's a um, uh, there's the individual penalty. The individual penalty does go away in 2019. It still is in effect for 2018. But if I'm covered under either the standard plan or the MEC plan, then I get then I the having coverage under the MEC allows me not to pay the penalty. Both uh, both the employer penalty as well as the individual penalty, the the 4980A penalty. Mm -hmm. So Garth, you mentioned telemedicine, which leads Mm -hmm. to kind of an interesting 
question, I guess, mm-hmm. for me anyway, is are you seeing developments or are you hearing about developments in medicine that are allowing patients and doctors to mm-hmm. communicate in different ways than traditionally going in and, and mm-hmm. sitting in an office? I mean, are there mm-hmm. strides being made there that can help to bring the cost of health insurance and health visits down? Y- yes. Yeah. So it's it's amazing how much uh, money can be saved by telemedicine. Now, pe- telemedicine is a fairly new concept. It hasn't been around for a very long time. And so I think there's a a comfort level that people don't have yet with it, right? When I want to see a doctor, I'm going to go see my doctor. Right. Uh, but that means taking the time away from work and so forth and so on. And is it convenient? Um, I, frankly, when I had my kids are all, you know, out of college and have their own families and that kind of thing. But when they were younger, there were many times that uh, the wife would come to me and the kids are sick and it's late at night or it's on the weekend and we have to decide what are you going to do? Right. right? Um, and with telemedicine, you get that access 24-7. And it would have been nice to have had a phone, be able to take a phone call back then mm-hmm. and say, hey, this is what's happening. What do you think? What should we do? Or, and, and so a lot of things can be done by Skype, right? There's lots of ways to communicate yeah. now by Skype or by phone. So it's, it's in its infancy. I think it's going to be more prevalent as people get comfortable with it. And it certainly is a cost-effective way to deliver care. Yeah, well, and in, in some ways, it's a return to the house call, right? From, right. from physicians being able right. to come directly to your home instead of you having to go to them. So exactly, uh, kind of interesting how it kind of comes, comes full around. circle yeah. there, yeah. Definitely like the convenience there, especially if you're really not feeling well. You don't want to yeah. get out of bed. Exactly. And again, taking the time. And I don't know the last time anybody was at a doctor when I, <laughs> last time I was there, it's, you know, it's a good, for me, it's a good hour, you know, it's, it's a couple hours by the time you factor in the wait time and that kind of thing out of your day where, you know, you, you the um, telemedicine times are very quick. It's once you've called in, they say it's an average of an uh, eight minute response time. They're calling back within eight minutes and you're talking to a doctor, you're not talking to a nurse or right. somebody, you're talking to a somebody who's licensed who can, who can give you the care. They can talk you through what's going on. There's pictures that can be sent, right? Cell phone pictures and those have sure. injured areas or those kind of things that you can mm-hmm. send in. So there's a lot that can be done uh, just with that. And again, I think it really comes back to people just being comfortable. Yeah. Well, with, you don't have to go yeah. sit in a waiting room with a bunch of sick people either, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we, we strayed a little bit there, but uh, Lori had asked about uh, small employers uh, yes. and the benefits, but what are the requirements for large employers and, and are there yeah. penalties there? Yes, yes. So so really it's important for people to know, and we'll use some terminology here, but it really is important for people to know, uh, employers to know, Am I an applicable large employer? And so the acronym there is ALE. Am I an ALE? And so likely, if you're close, most of the members that I talk to know. They know. They understand what an ALE is. And they, you know, am I close or am I not? If, in fact, you haven't heard what an ALE is, that, or or don't know that's a new terminology to you, you really need to, to hone in on that d- depending on where you are. So roughly speaking, what I tell folks is, an ALE is 50 or more. Now, they count full-time and full-time equivalents in that. So I tell employers, if you send out, do you send out more than 50 W-2s? If you don't, right, then you don't have to worry about being an ALE. You're not one of those. And life gets really simple if you're not an ALE. If you are, if you do send out more than 50, and I had a group the other day I was talking to that have about 70, 75 employees. And so, so that's at the, that the case where it's over 50 and you really have to take a look at it. When we, when, when I talked with the employer about it, he had done the calculations. I hadn't, uh, hadn't gone over those with him, but he had done the calculations and he, he, he determined that he was an ALA when you count up your full-time employees and full-time equivalents. So just roughly speaking, full-time employee as defined by the Affordable Care Act, if I'm an applicable large employer, an ALE, 
is anybody that works 30 hours or more. Mm-hmm. Can I change that? Can I make it, can I make it 40? The answer is no. Right. They give you what that is. And so a full-time equivalent would be, would be uh, if I had two 15-hour employees, right, the total would be 30. They would add up to one full-time employee. So that gives you a rough idea. There's calculations involved and numbers involved, of course, because right? Nothing can be simple when we're dealing with the tax code. So it's always got to be complicated. But anyway, so for purposes of employers, if you suspect you may be an ALE or if you're, if you're close to being an ALE, you really want to investigate that to find out. And why? Because life gets complicated. So there, there are penalties. Uh, government basically is saying through the Affordable Care Act has said, if you're an ALE, you're required to offer coverage to your employees, required to. So who do I have to offer coverage to? You have to offer coverage to those employees that work an average of 30 hours or more per week. So I tell employers just that you're uh, that you're an ALE doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. The safest place to be is don't be an ALE, right? Just keep your numbers under 50. Right. Right? But you can't do that, right? And so I have, and I have, I have employers I, I can't operate my business, right, mm-hmm. with that. And so if you, if you are an ALE, the next safe place to be is to have 30 or less employees that, that work that 30 hours. So I've got, uh, I've got a client who's got a number, <coughs> excuse me, who's got a number of um, uh, fast food restaurants. And they had, I think, five, five fast food restaurants. And in their group, they were, we determined they were an ALE. Uh, and we went through the calculations how many work 30 hours or more per week the numbers were, and you have to, you know, deal with part-time and those kind of things, or uh, excuse me, not part-time, but seasonal. But um, when we when we worked out those numbers, they worked out that they were at uh, 28 mm. full-time employees full, uh, that, that work 30 hours or more. So government says you have to offer coverage to them or you pay a penalty. So why, why are we okay at 30? The answer is in the penalty, you get to subtract 30 from the whatever number you have. So if I have... 30 or less employees, in effect, I have no penalty right? because I get to subtract that number. If I've got 45 employees that, that are full-time that I would need to offer coverage to, I get to subtract 30, that's 15 that I would have to pay the penalty on. Yeah. So so uh, safest place to be is don't be an ALE. If you've got to be an ALE, if you can keep your numbers to 30 or under, then, then that's great. If you're over that 30 mark, now you've got a decision to make, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm either going to pay a penalty or... I need to offer coverage. Right. And that's that's really, um, in talking with members, this all happened, kicked off really in 2014. Uh, 2015, if you, you factor in some of the, um, some of the, uh, they relaxed the law a little bit. Um, uh, and I won't go into the details on that, but they did relax the law a little bit. So it's 2014, 2015 where it kicked in. And when I was talking to members back then who were ALEs, who had more than, uh, had more than 30 employees, and I said, well, you know, what are you going to do? And they said, well, we're going to pay the penalty. Why? Why? Because the penalty was cheaper than buying insurance, right? right? The insurance was more expensive by a long ways. And so the penalty was cheaper. The downside of the penalty is it's not tax deductible. Mm. And where does it go? It goes right to the government, yeah. right? And so when I talked to members and they said, well, okay. And we, we, we had put together with the leadership at Orla had put together this MEC program. The MEC gets you out of that penalty. So the 35, the 60 or the $90 plan, if you offer those, that counts for offering coverage. It doesn't, there's two penalties. It doesn't get you out of both, but the one that's the biggest one that it's 2000, it was $2,000 when it started per person. 
Uh, and now it's 2350 or somewhere around there it's been indexed up. So it's a big penalty. Uh, and so of the, of the two penalties, that's the biggest one. And so it, again, offering those MEC programs allowed you to get out of, uh, out of that employer penalty as well as the individual penalty. And the nice thing was when you, when you took a look at the cost, and I did this as case studies for a number of our uh, membership, when you take a look at the cost, your, your, your uh, health insurance offering, the, the standard kind of health insurance is, is, would be way more expensive to you know, twice what it would be for penalties and mm. what I was looking at. And so then, then you'd have the penalty and then offering the MEC was, uh, you know, was about a quarter to half of the cost of the penalty. And as one member put it, they said, well, this is a no brainer, right? Because right. I'm either, I either get to pay the penalty, which I don't want to pay, right? And it goes to the government and it's non-tax deductible, or I can spend half of that. In their case, it was fully half of that to offer this plan to the employees. Now they get something out of it and no more, no more penalty for them or the employees. So, yeah. so that's a, I, I think that's a, it, it's a good option. And, and originally when we put the program together, we saw it and, and I argued it as an option for those employers subject, those ALEs that were subject to penalty that weren't providing anything. Uh, and the leadership here rightfully said, no, 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 we have to offer this to everybody, right? Not just large, but small employers. And so we we did, um, and, and we still do. And quite frankly, two-thirds of the groups that I have on uh, are small employers. They're not even subject to the penalty. And mm -hmm. why are so why are they offering it? Because it's affordable. It's something they can do. Yeah. And it gives the employees something, right? It gives them a plan they can access without having to meet a huge deductible. It gives them a plan where they, the employees can go get a discount on their prescription drugs. They get preventive care uh, at 100% paid. They get uh, office visits. So it handles those things that are kind of the most basic types of uh, services that people most normally use. Most people don't have surgeries, right, or hospitalization, those kind of things. Those are anomalies that, that happen, I think, across the country. We're looking at a, it's about maybe 20, somewhere around 20% of the population that incurs those in a year. Mm. Well, you're, you're right that it's, you know, it is a no-brainer. It should be. Um, you know, you look at it as sort of a win-win. Uh, yeah. You know, the small employers can, can provide that benefit and, and the employees get, you know, get a great benefit with coverage. So Yeah. Yep. So that's the, that's the penalty. And I, I guess the only other thing I would say to anybody who's out there, who's an, I, I think uh, who is an ALE or thinks suspects they may be an ALE, an applicable large employer, you, you really want to pay attention uh, to that now. I, I think there have been a number of employers who have just said, ah, oh, it's new. We think it may go away at some point in time or whatever. They're, I mean, they're, they're maybe not taking it serious. We, I was in a webinar yesterday or the day before, and they were, we were talking about, um, uh, you know, what's been happening as far as the penalties. And those are being assessed. I think 30,000 penalties have been assessed and it's racks up to millions of dollars. That's for the 2015 year. Wow. So, so it's, I don't, um, don't duck and hide. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> that's not what I would suggest at this point in time. If you're an ALE, f figure out, you know, what you're going to do. I mean, you, you need yeah. to take a look at it and make some decisions. Yeah. Well, I know that, um, you know, we have a ton of small members, um, small restaurants that are mm -hmm. members and small properties as well. Yes. Um, you know, I know they're looking for, for the options. Um, but w what are some of the requirements for small employers? And again, mm -hmm. you yeah. said that that's 
um, fewer than 50 full-time employees? Yes, yes. So, so requirements for employers. Good question. So, if you're looking at uh, if you're looking at anything on the group side, which, as I said, is the standard type of plan that covers everything, or even the these MAC minimum essential coverage programs. The, the basically the two requirements are that you offer coverage to a group of employees. I don't know how do you define what the group of employees are? Can I say, and I get a lot of people say, I want to you know offer it to my salaried managers, but not to anybody else. And you, you can't you can't really do that. The Affordable Care Act changed all that. And so the two requirements are one, that you offer coverage to a group of employees. What group of employees? They are people who have satisfied a 60-day waiting period. Um, and they are folks who have met an hour requirement. You get to choose that hour requirement. The small employers typically can choose up to 40 hours. Remember we said in an ALE it has to be 30. You don't yeah. get a choice about that. But for a small employer, you can choose up to 40. Can I make it less than that? Could I make it 30? You could make it 30 if you wanted to. But you choose the hours, a 60-day waiting period, and those are the employees that must come on. They must come on the program unless they have coverage somewhere else. So if you've got, I talk to people all the time who've got, they say, oh, some of my staff are younger folks that are covered under their parents' plan, right? Because kids can now be covered up to age 26. Great. If they're covered under their parents' program, they can wave off. If I've got retired military, we've got our receptionist in our office is uh, retired, uh, I think she was Air Force. And so she's under the uh, military plan, the TRICARE plan, those folks can wave off. Hmm. If I've got people on the Medicare, um, you know, th- those kind of programs, they, they can wave off. So, so you, you, again, when you take the hours and the 60-day waiting period, you find out who those groups are, then, then you can take out those employees who, are, uh, uh, who, are wa- who have coverage somewhere else. The rest of those employees would need to come on the program. And then, the, so that's the first requirement. The second requirement is that uh, carriers require that the employer pay at least half of the single rate for the employee. So back to that group, I think the $230 was, um, was the rate that they came back with. So the employer in that situation would need to, would need to pay 115 of that, right? Half of that rate. Right. So you can pay more if you want to. Um, and we do do have people that do that, but that's you would be required to pay at least half of that single rate. So, uh, what's the administrative process to managing added benefits like mm-hmm. healthcare? Yeah, so there's certainly a, a payroll deduction deduction function, correct? If you've got employees paying that, so your payroll systems would have to um, would have to allow for uh, payroll deduction. Um, and, uh, and then there, there would be a transmittal, uh, to the, um, to the carrier on a monthly basis of those premiums, right? So your half plus the employee's half would need to be sent off to the carrier on a monthly basis. And so they're, they're going to, there's, there's paperwork that you fill out at the start. There's a, a group application the employer fills out and then there's applications that the employees fill out. Uh, and then, uh, and then employees participate. And again, if there's payroll deduction, then that happens. So once the carrier, um, the carrier will send you a monthly statement on it uh, is a list, right? Of those employees that are eligible for coverage and the employer looks at it, audits it. No, Joe's not here anymore. We hired Mary and Mary's now eligible for the coverage. Uh, and so they add or, or take away. And then, so there's a, it's a monthly function there. And then annually, there would be uh, some type of time spent in the renewal process, right? What are we going to do? What's come, happening next year? Do we need to change the plan? Do we need to, uh, do, are the rates going to be increased? And how are we going to handle that? Are we going to have employees pay a little bit more? Is the employer going to pay more? So there's, there's those kind of discussions that happen at year end. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think if, you know, if some of these small employers, uh, they don't have HR people, they don't have a big staff at all, it's really just them, mm-hmm. um, that uh, some of these administrative um, tasks, you know, mm-hmm. and just the, the time that they anticipate uh, mm-hmm. having to take might be uh, sort of turning them off a little bit to, to get insurance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so so I uh, certainly there is going to be more time, right? There is, there just is because there's functions there. There's also uh, when people become eligible, right? Somebody has to make sure that they get right. they get the enrollment paperwork and that. So there certainly is going to be more time. So I w- I wouldn't tell folks that it would not be. I think it's a, it's a matter of um, so it, it it can be a pain point. So what offsets the pain point? Well, what offsets that is if I can attract and retain the employees that I want, right? And so for more operators that I talk to. That's really become the key issue. You know, I can't lose Joe. He's been my chef for a long time. And right. now he's, or I've had uh, situations where employers have said, I've got employees that are working two places, right? And and he's told me this other place gives me insurance. I'm going to have to go over there full time. Yeah. So, you know, so I think you, you, get, you get pushed into some things that you that you kind of have to do from that standpoint. I think the other thing is there, there can be a satisfaction of being able to provide benefits, right, to employees. I mean, I, I, rarely do I talk to employers that don't care about their staff, right? And I may be jaded because the ones that I talk to, you know, want to provide the coverage, right? They do. They want to take care of folks. And so from my perspective, I think most employers understand that they're, uh, and what certainly we do in our office, that employees are what drive that business. And so so you want them to take care of themselves. They become like family, right? And so you, um, so there, I think there's a pride in being able to do that as well. Yeah, so true. those those kind of things, I think, can, they, they have to be able to, to mitigate somewhat the 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 pain of the administration. Sure. sure. Yeah, the they've, they've got to look at the bigger bigger benefits, the bigger picture there, yes. you know, what they are providing. So, yes. and it's uh, it's worth a little extra effort, so. Yeah, the, the, I think the other thing I would say is, um, I'm, I'm deal, I get a lot of calls from uh, small um, operators, and, and really their discussion is, can I, you know, can, can I get something better somewhere else, sure. right? And they're often covered individually, and so we, just real quickly on an individual versus group market. The individual market has been very expensive. I mean, it, it didn't used to be. It didn't used to be. It used to be individual coverage was a lot, was less expensive than group. And I, and I won't go into why, again, for timing reasons. But the Affordable Care Act, right, when it kicked in, and there were, there were some changes that happened there that, that have really turned the individual market on its head. Um, the exchange is how you buy individual coverage now. That's the way the Affordable Care Act set it up. So each each state has its own exchange. Oregon has theirs. And just to give you a snapshot into that, and, and when it started, Oregon Oregon's exchange was very robust. I think we had six different carriers in there. They were offering probably six different plans each for any, any age group. So you had 36 plans to choose from, and it was all over the place. Today, in some counties, there's one carrier and mm. maybe one or two plants to choose from. So there's no there's no competition, which means that's another driver High of prices. price, right? Yeah. Prices sure. go up, and so and so individually. Uh, so I am getting calls. I talked to an operator the other just I think it was yesterday, the day before. I get them a lot, who who called and said, I you know I'm, my coverage is really expensive. Can you do something? And we can if we if we as long as we have, in on the group side, as long as we have more than. One person, if we've got a couple, um, and one needs to be a non-owner, then uh, then it's worth taking it's worth taking a look at. So this operator, I don't, I, they had one other, I think one or two that were eligible, um, and uh, and I think one of those waves. So we were looking at really just he and another, and so can we get group coverage for them? The answer is yes. And in in this case, 
we were able to because they were uh, older and the and the other staff person was younger. The group rate was actually better than they could get individually. He covered he, himself and his spouse, and I think they were paying because of their age. They were paying around twenty three, twenty four hundred a month, and we were able to get group coverage for all three of them for seventeen hundred. So it was, it was, you were able to cover another person and do it cheaper. Wow. So uh, those kinds of things can happen. But that, again, that's the, mo- the, some of the motivation is, well, I just want it cheaper for myself. What do I have to do? And gosh, if you can add just one other person right now, I'm providing coverage, um, assuming you get the hours work out and that type of thing. If I can, if I can add, add one other person, I can get coverage cheaper than I could individually, then why wouldn't I? Right. So those kind of things can happen. That's the question. Why wouldn't you? Exactly. Well, that's a ton of great information. We're going to take a short break, let everybody digest that, and we will be right back. Remember your first summer job? Hopefully it didn't involve a trip to the emergency room. Young workers have a higher risk of getting hurt. If you know a teen starting their first job, SAFE wants to share these three reminders. One, keep an eye out for hazards. Two, speak up if something seems unsafe. Three, Know your rights, including restrictions on hours and the type of work you can do. You can learn more about young worker safety at saif.com slash young workers. Welcome back to Boil Down. Today, we're discussing everything you need to know about health insurance with Garth Rouse. And Garth, real quick, I'm going to give you your contact information. So if people sure. want to get in touch with you, Perfect. it is Garth T. Rouse and Associates. And the email address is gb, as in beaver, rouse, at profben.com and that's p is in paul r o f b is in beaver en.com see i got that in there twice I for did, you did yeah. thank I, you so much I, that's, that's, I'm I, a giving. I, I have to I, you didn't do the o i don't know what's going on <laughs> i'm a giving kind of a guy that's the way that's the way i work so yeah uh well we we've talked a lot about it and we're going to continue to talk a lot about it because there's a lot to cover um great information here but um what we wanted to talk about right now is a little bit about uh, the Orla Health Solutions, kind of mm-hmm. what we offer uh, mm-hmm. to members, members only. Um, and so let's just start with what types of sure. supplemental insurance are included through the Orla Health Solutions, and could those be bought independently? Okay, great. Yeah. So the answer is yes. So there are um, uh, there are products there. Companion Life is the carrier that we have. So they, what, what supplemental products do you have there? There's Life. There's uh, short-term and long-term disability. There's uh, uh, dental, uh, additional dental and vision programs. Those are all uh, additional policies that could be purchased. So if I'm an employer looking to add something, is there any cost there? The answer is no. That's just that's available for uh, for members, um, f- for the employees to purchase as they do. There's no minimum numbers typically in those kind of situations. You'd have a minimum number. I'm used to seeing five or ten lives that mm-hmm. want to do that. Um, the program that was put together with Companion is is really good from the standpoint that there's no minimum numbers that you need to hit, and the products are very competitively priced. We have, there's some dental preventive care only dental stuff that's like nine bucks a month or ten bucks a month, so wow. very uh, very affordable. And again, it's it's kind of a good. Uh, we see it as a as an as an add on. It doesn't have to be, but we can we see it as an add on to um, to the uh, other solutions that are brought. Either they minimum essential coverage plans, again, the 3060 or uh, 35, 60 or $90 plans, or the standard plans, those, those can be made available for employees to, uh, to, to access. And then we've got a couple of other 
you know, kind of options for people as well. So mm-hmm. uh, one of those being the free pharmacy discount card. So how does somebody take advantage of that? Yeah, so that's a fairly new program. It was developed by Optum again through their relationship with uh, United Healthcare National Restaurant Association. So the discount uh, card is, uh, is, is pretty nice. Again, if you're just wanting to offer something uh, as a benefit, those cards are, um, they're free. So uh, you go online. I've been to the website uh, actually this morning to take a look at it. You can uh, sign up there. Again, there's no cost. You don't put in credit cards or anything like that. It's a totally free thing. And then you can either print off the card or you can send it to your phone, text it. Uh, There's a lot of different ways to get that. And you have it on your phone with you. And it saves up to 40%, I think, on average off the FDA-approved prescription list. So if people are taking prescriptions, again, you get 40, uh, up to 40% off. I believe that's average. I talked to the rep this morning, and that's, what she, that's the number she gave me. When you go online, as I did, it says in big, bold letters, it says seven, up to 75% off. But I think the average is about 40. Sure. And you don't have to have a specific insurance carrier like mm-hmm. United Healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, that's correct. Or, or any others. You don't. You don't. It, it'll, it, it can work in conjunction with if you did have a uh, if you did have a carrier or not, it, it makes no difference. There's no, I don't think there's a name on the card. Um, I, I, it could be used. You can use it. You can use it for your family. You mm-hmm. can use it for your neighbors. I mean, they don't care where it is. Uh, 62,000 pharmacies and average family savings is $300 on prescriptions. So, um, so it's, it's really good from that standpoint. It's an additional thing. And again, if you weren't, if you didn't have, weren't able to offer anything else, but I don't know why I wouldn't, uh, as a as an operator, get my folks signed up on that. So it's it's free again. Uh, it provides discounts on those pharmacies. The other nice tidbit is that there there is some money on each transaction that goes to support uh, the education foundation. Mm. So that's the partnership there. Uh, so money comes back. Um, uh, it comes back, back that way to, to Orla's Education Foundation, which is great. It does, and and no real administrative uh, piece no, there, right? I mean, you're, nope. you're just simply. Yep. Allowing them the opportunity to sign up for this card. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the um, the website you can find from a number of different places, but it's hospitalityrxcard.com. Hospitalityrxcard.com. Uh, again, another good offering for folks. And mm-hmm. again, it's free. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's one other product under, um, and this is our through our partnership with United Healthcare Group, mm-hmm. um, the health savings accounts yes. through Optum. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So uh, health savings accounts are a specific kind of health insurance. So uh, we've talked about the max minimum essential coverage plans. The, the plans don't cover as much, but they don't cost as much. We talked about the, the standard type of plans that cover everything. And so an HSA, health savings account, is a certain kind of a standard plan. So it's one that's going to cover everything, right? Surgery, hospitalization, those kind of things. The concept with an HSA is that that it's got a it's got a deductible that you have to meet before before anything uh, you know before any kind of insurance kicks in. Now that's normal in all standard insurance. Like when we talked about a three or four or five thousand dollar deductible, that's it's typical that the deductible doesn't doesn't kick in, uh, or excuse me, the insurance doesn't kick in until after a deductible is done. But um, the difference with an HSA is it's it was they're built a certain way. They have to code section two twenty deals with what an HSA has to look like. 
And so you're either on an HSA plan or you're not. So if you are covered under an HSA plan and they're, they are popular and they're getting more popular, we, we anticipate a significant growth in HSA accounts. What the government allows you to do is they say, look, if you're going to buy this deductible plan, and again, it has to fall within a certain range, we're going to allow you to be able to set that deductible aside in a tax-free account. And so HSA accounts, so what we have with um, Optum is this HSA account. That's what they're saying is we've got a place here for you to put your money. So if you've got an HSA account, you are eligible to fund, excuse me, if you have an HSA health insurance product, then you're eligible to fund an HSA account. And Optum that has an, uh, uh, with the Restaurant Association has that option for you. So, for example, if I was going to have ankle surgery this year or something mm-hmm. and I knew that was going to happen, I could have that money taken out of my paycheck. It's pre-tax mm-hmm. and it allows me to kind of put that money aside so that when that bill does come due, I can you know either pay it or meet my deductible or whatever I need to do mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to having to you know have that money go on a credit card or have to save up myself for that. Exactly, exactly. So can I do it? So you mentioned pre-tax. So the answer is yes, you can do it pre-tax, but the employer has to set up a plan for, to, for that mechanism to be done pre-tax. If your employer doesn't have a plan to, to be able to have that done pre-tax, then you would have to fund it after tax uh, out of your own pay and then just take the deduction at year end. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there's a couple of ways that can be done. Great. Now, <clears throat> we're, we're sitting here, it's uh, the, the week of Thanksgiving, actually, yeah. um, getting close to the end of the year. Um, and for those who are seeking individual mm-hmm. insurance coverage, I know that the open enrollment is now through December 15th. Yes. Yep. So, so if you're looking, so if individual coverage is what you want to take a look at, you don't want to cover group. I don't want to get into those rules or that mess. The other thing is individual coverage. So there, is there a reason to jump into that? The answer is, yeah. If you feel that like you're at an income level where you would qualify for a subsidy, the only way to get that subsidy is through the exchange. And so that open enrollment period, as you've said, ends December 15th. It started it op- open enrollment was November one through December 15th. So that's the time period. If you're looking at individual coverage, you've really got to get on that and and get that done by December 15th. If not, you're out until next open enrollment, right? Which would be this time next year, unless you have, uh, unless, unless you have a a significant event, right? So if I get, if I have a, a marriage or a divorce or a birth, those kinds of things allow you to enroll or change enrollment outside of that time period. Or the better option is if your employer can provide uh, insurance insurance coverage for you yes. with one of these plans. Yes, yes. And now, now so what, is there any timing? And I do get questions from members about timing because the folks are pretty well aware of the, you know, the, that there is a certain open enrollment period for the individual. And a lot of times they'll think that applies to group and it doesn't, it doesn't apply to group. So you can, you can sign it. We, we enroll groups kind of throughout the year. It now is a big time because people are looking at the next year, right? The calendar mm-hmm. year and what can I afford to do and do sure. I need to do something different? Mm-hmm. But uh, you can do it. You, you, we have groups that enroll kind of at, at all times throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So you're not bound by that same open enrollment period. So for uh, employers out there that are thinking about it, looking at it, um, Mm -hmm. what's the quickest way to get them started? Yeah, so um, 
So you really employers they care about uh, you're going to care about two things right price is always going to be the big number right so so can I is it something that I can afford to do so there's price and then and then benefits and so if you have coverage you may want to take a look at um, at the restaurant association from the standpoint the the trust product that I, that we mentioned earlier in the podcast uh, with United Healthcare they've got a special program. Uh, specifically for restaurant association members, and we're the folks that that kind of are the are the gateway to that product. And so, if you and I'm getting more calls as this is getting out from people who are saying I've got coverage, but we don't know if we have the best. And so, could, you know, will this special product made for the association members will it be better? And we're finding that it is in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases it is better. And it's, uh, we've, we've, we've found that it's 10% under, uh, in some of the shopping we've done so far, under what the rest of the market can hold. So there, there could be something special there. So if you've got coverage, that might be something you want to take a look at. Um, if is you that, do, sorry, oh, sorry, is that just for restaurants or is that also for lodging and hospitality? It is association members. I believe association, association members. members yeah. So um, I believe that's correct. I'd have to double check, but it's association members. So there's, um, so there's that. Um, the other thing is, that I guess, so if I, don't, if I don't have coverage and I want to take a look at it, again, the big question is, what's it going to cost me? So you know you've got to pay half whatever the single rate is. So to determine what that single rate is on a standard type of coverage plan, there's uh, census information that we collect, age and, and date of birth uh, for em- em- employees. Uh, we collect that from the employer, and then we're able to go out to the marketplace, including this uh, trust product, uh, as well as all the other carriers in the state. And we go out and we just shop it, say, okay, what what can you find? And we when we compare plans and we find the best uh, program that's available, and that's the only real way to know what your costs are. They going to be, you know, two hundred dollars a month, or are they going to be seven hundred dollars a month? We won't know until we do that. So, if you're at all interested, we certainly can go through that process. It doesn't cost anything to do that. It's just a little time in getting that uh, census information together. If you're at a place where you, you know, gosh, I just, I know I can't afford, I can't afford what 200, you know, whatever it would be, I can't afford that. And maybe you have some interest in these essential products. Those prices are fixed. There's no age or uh, sex uh, banding on those. So it's 35, 60 or $90. The difference in price has to do with the benefits that are offered. Um, and so if that's a price point, if, if, if offering something, uh, like that is attractive to you, then that's an easy thing. There's there's plenty of information on the uh, Orla website uh, for you to take a look at, and and certainly we can get information out to you. But that's there's no again there's there's no mystery on the cost or the benefit that we can communicate to you right away. Fantastic. Yeah. So, what else do employers need to know? We've covered a ton of information here today, yeah. Earth, and, yeah. and thank you for that. Is there something that we haven't talked about that you think employers, the listeners out there, really need to know about? Well, I, I, so we, we have talked about a lot of things. I guess the only other thing that I would say is I remember what um, years and years and years ago, I remember there was a member, a uh, long-time effective past president of the association who we had coverage, gave coverage, or, or um, oh, he wanted coverage for his employees. And the one thing that he said to me was he said, you know, um, he really liked the product in that it's it's unique in that again it's it's been the number one requested product by all staff everywhere for a long long time and in addition it's it's uh it's it's deductible when you think of the ways that you can give stuff to employees right or you can get them stuff what he <coughs> excuse me what he enjoyed about it 
was that it was fully deductible. So if I have a premium, you know, if my premium is, let's say, $300 a month and I have to pay 150 that 150 is, of course, tax deductible. Now, so what other ways can I give stuff to employees? Well, I can give them cash, right? I can. Sure. And you can give them cash and you can deduct that 150 but is it going to cost you 150 No, it's going to cost you more because you've got payroll taxes, right. right? To pay on top of that. So if, so if I want to give them 150 it's really going to cost me, you know, 175 180 or whatever your payroll taxes are. This was this this for him was a dollar for dollar uh, deduction. I give it to him, and it's and it's a, to, a totally deductible benefit. So for him, that made a lot of sense, and it and it made it uh, a little less painful. So just remember that um, the the it is something that a lot of folks are exploring. Uh, the downside uh, of of health coverage today is the the fact of the matter is, and people would understand this is that it's a cost that continues to go up, right? Yeah. We don't you're not. I want to give somebody 150 bucks. I can give them 150 or not, but I, you know, next year's are going to be 150 years are going to be 175 or whatever. The, so that's a downside. Um, uh, but again, it's the only thing that does what it does and it's completely valued. So going into it, understanding that if you can budget for those kinds of things, um, then that's a good thing to remember. The, the back to the uh, MEC products, the essential coverage products, those haven't gone up. We've been doing those for a number of years and it was born out of the affordable care act. So it's brand new. Uh, but those products haven't gone up, so that, and I don't anticipate that they will. I think those costs remain pretty static. So if you want to get into something, again, can't afford the other, you want to get into something, that's a, that is a benefit of the MEC products is they're, they're fairly static in their cost. Yeah. Well, you've, you've talked about a, a, a ton of different options here, essential plans, standard plans, supplemental, um, a lot of great information. I, I'm sure our listeners have uh, mm-hmm. more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great because they can contact you. You yes. you have a, can kind of walk them through what what these options are and what might might be a best uh, yeah. opportunity for them. So yeah, we're happy to talk to folks. And again, we'll just be real with them, right? And, and if, it, if it makes sense, then we'll pursue pursue that if they want to. And I, but I can usually within a phone call tell them, you know, kind of about what you know the lay of the land and and uh, whether it's something they should pursue or mm-hmm. potentially not. And again, in order to get in touch with Garth, it's Garth T. Rouse, R-O-U-S-E, not R-O-S-U, sorry, R-O-U-S-E and Associates. And it's gbrouse at profben.com or 1-800-982-2012. And uh, to go to the Orla website, oregonrla.org slash health solutions, you can see kind of a, at a glance look at all the things that we've talked about today. And uh, thanks again, Garth. Just a tremendous amount of information. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. We're going to take another quick break, and we'll come back with Advocacy Watch. Did you know restaurant workers are injured at work twice as often as the rest of the service industry? Injuries include cuts and burns, slips, trips, and falls, and strains and sprains on muscles. SAFE wants to help you prevent kitchen injuries at work and at home. Be sure to use the right equipment. Practice good housekeeping to reduce hazards. Store and lift heavy objects properly. Remind your coworkers and family to play it safe in the kitchen. For more, visit saif.com slash kitchen safety. Welcome back. It's time for Advocacy Watch. This is the part of the podcast where we boil down some of the local, state, and national government affairs issues that you should be aware of. Yeah, well, speaking of, uh, we did, did just have a big election that... Uh, meant actually a lot for for Oregon politics um, tell us a little bit about what uh, what the results mean for us here in the state yeah so uh, looking 
just briefly nationally, our uh, congressional delegation all were reelected. So all five of our congressmen and women, uh, our two U.S. senators were not up for election this time. And in Congress, the Democrats took the House. The Republicans maintained their control in the Senate, in fact, added a few seats. What that probably means is a little bit of gridlock in Congress for the next two years. The Democrats are likely to try to investigate and potentially impeach the president. Uh, they also have their own agenda of things they want to do. In the meantime, uh, the Senate Republicans are going to be looking to push through as many nominations as possible and get folks on the bench uh, in judicial positions. So we don't expect a lot uh, out of the national Congress at this point. Um, there may be an opportunity here in the last part of the year during this what's called the lame duck session to get a few things done while Republicans still control both the House and the Senate and the White House. But here in Oregon, uh, we turned a deeper shade of blue. The governor, Governor Kate Brown, defeated her opponent, uh, state representative and physician Newt Bueller. So she's going to have the opportunity to serve four more years as our governor. And for the first time since she's been governor, she will not have to worry about reelection. She's barred from running again. So she's going to have an opportunity over the next four years to kind of lay out, I think, what her vision is and, and uh, show us the kind of leadership that uh, she talked about during this election. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, what what we get from her office. But in the meantime, uh, she's going to have a supermajority of Democrats in both the Oregon House and the Oregon Senate. So the uh, House Democrats picked up three seats to get them to 38, which is two more than they needed. And the Senate Democrats uh, picked up one to get to 18. And what we're hoping is that those folks in those positions of leadership uh, will remember that the best policy occurs when there's compromise and when there's discussion about these topics. Uh, we want to make sure that um, we're going to see some of that. And so that's what we're going to be advocating for as we get into the building starting in January for the 2019 session. Exciting. So on the local, local level, though, um, didn't we have a few of our hospitality champions uh, come through with some wins? Yeah, we did. Actually, a couple of real bright spots uh, for our industry. So Sherry Helt, uh, who's the owner of Zydeco Kitchen and Cocktails and Bistro 28, which are both in Bend, won her Oregon house race. Uh, so we've got somebody who's served on a school board there, but also understands uh, how to run a restaurant and the challenges involved with that. And then Christine Drazen, uh, who's a former Oregon Restaurant Association government affairs employee, and she was a chief of staff to both an Oregon House majority leader and an Oregon Speaker of the House, won her election to the uh, Oregon House of Representatives. So we have a couple of folks in office now that uh, truly understand our industry and, and the challenges that we go through. Uh, on a local level, uh, Daniel Nguyen, uh, the owner of Bambooza, won a seat on the Lake Oswego City Council, and he starts January 1st as well. So again, getting some folks in positions to um, really advocate for, for the industry and understand how this goes. We had a couple of local ballot measures that we were involved with. Um, Greg, tell us a little bit about what Portland's Measure 26201, the gross receipts tax, means. Yeah, so the gross receipts tax passed up in Portland um, pretty handily, actually. And so what it means is for those businesses that do $500,000 or more of sales in the city of Portland and a billion dollars or more nationwide are going to be subject to a 1% uh, gross receipts tax. It'll be a tax on, on their sales. 
Um, it's likely that that may provide a blueprint uh, for the Democrats in the House and the Senate at the state level uh, to look at a gross receipts tax or a value-added tax. Uh, we had a fight uh, statewide about this a couple of years ago with Measure 97 that was defeated. And so we do know that um, the governor and the House and the Senate are going to be looking for more money, and this is one of those ways that they will probably be able to do it. Well, down in Southern Oregon, we did have a win in Jacksonville. We had a great win in Jacksonville. Yeah, a big thanks to uh, Whit Parker and Jacksonville Review and all the folks down there, the restaurant owners and the small business owners that banded together. Uh, the Jacksonville meals tax was defeated, 65 to 35, and it would have imposed a 5% sales tax on meals in the city of Jacksonville. So we were happy to, to partner up uh, with the folks down there and um, get a win for the hospitality industry. That's great. So looking forward to, to 2019 and the legislative session coming up, um, what's Orlo doing to prepare for that? So we have our uh, legislative uh, framework that we're going to be finalizing on December 11th. We've got a public policy committee uh, meeting here in Wilsonville. We're also going to be uh, finalizing and approving our two-year PAC budget, the Political Action Committee budget for Orla as well. So we've got some of that drafted up right now. Uh, we had to wait until after the election to see you know, what was reasonable in terms of some of the things that we're going to be trying to accomplish and some of the things we know we're going to have to defend against. Um, so if anyone is interested out there, December 11th here at the Orla offices in Wilsonville, uh, public policy committee meeting. So you are going to be busy. You're going to be in Salem quite a bit and out of the office. Yeah, uh, December will be busy. And then, uh, you know, the session starts earlier this year. We're actually starting uh, January 22nd. So okay. it's a couple of weeks earlier than normal, uh, which means that there won't be much time between the holidays and then just, uh, you know, hitting the ground running. Right. Uh, we should mention uh, we do have our annual Taste Oregon reception coming up, which does sort of kick off the session. Yeah, so in the early part of the session, uh, we're going to be setting up a day for folks to come down and uh, visit with legislators at the Capitol. That's going to be Tuesday, February 19th, 2019. Uh, and we're going to try to get a couple of folks from uh, the Oregon Lottery, the Bureau of Labor and Industries, uh, maybe the state treasurer, possibly the governor, to come in and talk a little bit about uh, each of their different areas of expertise and, and what that may mean uh, for our industry. And hopefully uh, we'll have a chance to ask a few questions as well. And then, of course, the uh, the big event that night is our Taste Oregon Legislative Reception. It's probably the most um, highly anticipated reception of the season, if you will, the legislative season. Uh, also, Tuesday, February 19th, that's going to be at the Salem Convention Center. Yeah, and again, that's, that is a free reception. They, uh, we do want you to RCP for that, um, but pretty excited to have some of our restaurant members that are going to be there um, sharing their, their favorite tastes. Always great food, great drinks, and a chance to really sit down with some of the legislators and their staff in a very informal setting, ask them some questions, talk to them, get to know them a little bit better so that when you do come to Salem and, and need to testify, uh, you've got a relationship with somebody there. So before we start this next session, uh, there is a law that's supposed to be taking effect January 1st. 
on pay equity? Yeah, so Oregon's pay equity law uh, is supposed to take effect January 1st. Unfortunately, as we've gone through the rulemaking process, uh, employers still do not have clear guidance from the Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industries, uh, BOLI. Uh, We're still waiting to get the final rules back, which means that at this point, Uh, We probably have less than 45 days for employers to actually receive those rules and then try to implement them, which in our case, uh, we don't feel is enough time. And so uh, we've gotten together with 17 other groups that represent small businesses, farmers, builders, uh, and all kinds of other industries that encourage Boley to delay any kind of punitive enforcement on that new pay equity law for at least a year. Uh, That would give us time as businesses and and business owners to figure out how that needs to be implemented correctly. And what's included in this guidance that's going to be real important for our members? Well, there's definitions. Uh, What what do benefits include, for example? Uh, What does compensation mean? Does it include tips, in our our case, in our industry? Um, And then what is allowed for pay differentials for work of comparable character, for example? Uh, there's also definitions that we're trying to get some direction from Bolion and you know what what does skill and education and experience mean in the context of this law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and important stuff to know there. Um, bring it back to city of Portland, and they have this single-use disposable plastics policy. What's going on with that? Yeah, so there's a there's a real movement uh, nationwide right now, even even internationally to to a certain extent, uh, to kind of eliminate or replace plastic straws with you know alternatives. In the case here in Portland, it really was about reduction, and so we had three Orla members that served on a work group that was convened by Mayor Ted Wheeler to craft policy related to single use disposable plastics or suds, as they call them in the city of Portland. Uh, the work group also had folks from the Surfrider Foundation, uh, environmental groups, community members, members of the disabled community, and city staff. And the mayor did ask the work group to create an ordinance around plastic straws, but wanted them to kind of look beyond that as well. Uh, initially, it seemed like the policy was going to be a complete ban on plastic straws, utensils, uh, even condiment packets and food packaging. Containers. Uh, Containers, yeah, everything by 2020. Um, After conversations with the work group and uh, city staff, uh, the city staff decided to make it an on-request policy, uh, which will be in place starting June, starting July 1st, 2019. Uh, And a year after that, they'll kind of review that law and see uh, if they need to take it further. But at this point, uh, what it means is if you're in a dine-in situation, uh, you will not be handing out straws to folks unless they ask for them specifically. So no more just Mm -hmm. plunking a straw down in a drink and putting it in front of a a customer. Um, And if you've got takeout or delivery options, what it means is that employees will need to be trained to ask the customer uh, if they need utensils, if they need condiment packets. Uh, Oftentimes people are taking that food home and they won't need the plastic forks and spoons that go into the the bags automatically now. So So, so these are not necessarily insignificant changes um, that restaurants will have to take, uh, but certainly important ones. Um, And we know that there's already a number of uh, hotels and restaurants that uh, have already made changes you know, that are uh, either going straw less or just on demand um, because they feel it's the right thing to do. So 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got several members that came to us and, and told us they've already eliminated them. Um, we know from talking to two of the major vendors uh, of plastic straws that the city of Portland, their customers, they've seen just in the last year, uh, one company said a 20% reduction. The other one said a 35% reduction in plastic straw sales. Mm-hmm. So we already know that folks are, are taking them out of their lineup. And, um, you know, this will just be another incentive, I guess, if you will, for folks to move along that way. And, and, you know, it seems that customers want that as well, uh, as you, as you talk to them, but, um, there will be some penalties. So, uh, we should talk about that real quick. Uh, if you get a first violation, you'll get a written warning, uh, which is going to be, you know, just kind of the let you know what you're doing. Uh, after that, it's $100 for the first violation after the written warning in a calendar year, and then $200 for the second violation in the same calendar year, and $500 for any subsequent violation within the same calendar year. In addition, uh, no more than one penalty shall be imposed upon any single location within a seven-day period. Now, to help with this, I know that the Bureau of Planning and Sustainability for the City of Portland is going to be coming up with some uh, outreach and communication materials that they're going to be providing to uh, restaurants, both in terms of uh, informing them about the law, but also informing customers about the fact that Portland has this new by request only uh, for plastic straws. Yeah, uh, it certainly is going to be some education on the part of the consumer's part as well. Um, you know, I know personally, I, I'm trying to make some changes as far as bringing a straw. I have this uh, addiction to Diet Coke, and so I do like to go through the drive through <laughs> and get one of those. And, and I thought, well, at least I could start bringing my own straw. Yeah, the, the drive through continues to be the one area probably that uh, that needs to be uh, addressed, and, and it, it, there's no real easy answer to that. Um, one thing that did come up during the testimony, which I thought was interesting as well, is when you talk about things like juice boxes. Uh, juice boxes come with their own plastic straws, and so how do you eliminate those? I mean, that's really a national manufacturing kind of an issue, and, and so uh, there may be exceptions as we go through this. The law may need to be tweaked, but... Um, again, you can't think of everything when you're, when you're drafting new, new ordinances and laws. Well, please keep the emails coming to info at OregonRLA.org. We want to hear from you. Let us know, uh, not only your government affairs questions, but also any opinions uh, that you may have and what's going on in your area. You're our best source of, of information for what's happening at the local level. I'd like to say thank you again to Garth Rouse, Garth T. Rouse and Associates, and to Lori Little, Orla Director of Communications, for joining me today. I am your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for Orla. Thanks for listening. <laughs>